I've got WhatsApp on my desktop and it's not downloading the pictures and I don't know why. Oh, there it goes. You did. Yeah. Mine yeah. Let's see if it yeah. goes through. I do see. I've never connected it's like that. like a pillow fort. Yeah. I've never connected any kind of social media to my laptop, which is silly. I don't know why I don't do that. I should have WhatsApp connected. I should have, I don't know. I get kind of nervous about Chinese stuff like WeChat. Oh, yeah. Some weird backdoor stuff. That's a good segue into uh, our topic for today. Here at Life, Death, Sci-Fi, Fahrenheit 451. Oh, the best. (laughs) I read this book a little differently than I did the last two times. I read through it more for the, you know, big chunks of the story. And this time I read it very carefully. And each time I found myself drifting away, thinking of something else, but drifting down another paragraph or two without knowing what I read, I would jump back to where I remembered so I could get everything out of this book. And uh, I liked it. I think that's the beauty of reading, right? Versus, say, an audio version or you know, watching a show or something. You have these moments that can drift by and it doesn't matter. And when you're reading, you have that moment to, to stop and think and revisit something um, and let the mind wander and then come back to the book. Like you're, I think that's part of what he's getting at is there's, a, there's more intellectual engagement with reading. Right, as an individual, you have more control over the the process versus just you're more it's more active and, and versus something like the parlor walls that are uh, it's more of a passive reception of those moments. a moral right. responsibility to know what's going on so that if a war happens why and when and where and you have some idea of or some sense you're not just uh, partying down until the last seconds. However, while I'm on this topic, I want to talk about Captain Beatty, who seemed to be right on with a lot of his ideas and concepts, even though it was in a Trumpian kind of way. He egged him on. He egged uh, Montag on so that yeah. I think yeah, uh, it was, yeah, it was uh Death by cop kind of thing. Oh, okay. Hmm. Interesting. But a a lot of people at that time who had some way of knowing a, a sense through the censorship of the walls and the society, they knew war was coming. They couldn't do anything about it. And they knew that they probably wouldn't live through it. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't know if I focused a whole lot on the war part of it. I, I definitely noticed that. I wonder, right? If the movie completely left it, yeah, mostly out out of the movie. It just ended uh, a few pages uh, short of uh, the destruction of the city. I don't know if. The audience could guess that or not, but they certainly didn't see it as the book described it. it he just drifted off into the community of the library. Well, you're talking about the Truffaut film, right? Yes. 
Yeah, I, di- I didn't rewatch that for this. I can talk about that in a second. But you've seen it, right? Yeah, I've seen it a couple of times. And it's been, it's probably been six, seven, you maybe even eight years since I, I've seen it. But I remembered, you know, that version at the end is a little bit different where he's, they're all walking around through the woods reciting these uh, the chapters of the book. Yeah, um, he found yeah. the community. And I, I can't remember if there's a, a scene where there's, uh, some jets fly by and they blow up the city in the film. You saying you watched it recently? In the film. In the yeah. film, they blow up the city. Well, in the book, they blow up the city. Yes, in the book, they do. I don't remember that happening in the film. Oh, okay, okay. Did hmm. it? Do I remember it wrong? I can't remember. I'm guessing no, maybe given the time period. I tried yeah. But go ahead, go ahead. I I thought there were a lot of references to the war more than than I remembered from reading it the last time. So I was I was a little bit surprised. And then when I read some of that stuff that you sent by about the time period when this was written, it was written in the time where uh, nuclear war was a thing. And when I was a really little kid about this. We were all taught to um, duck under our desks and cover up. Duck and cover. So, yeah. So I was uh, on this reading. I I saw that. Yeah, roll into a curb to protect yourself from a nuclear attack. Yeah, duck and cover. I remember watching some old propaganda film. I'll have to find that. I bet it's on. I bet it's on YouTube somewhere. It's just. uh, I found that on a VCD in Guangzhou, like back in the day, <laughs> this random thing. It was all these old, like propaganda, American propaganda videos, and one of them was about the duck and cover campaign. And uh, these people on the street, they would, they would. I found, I just found this, this VCD, not even a DVD, this VCD, and, and it had this. It was that was the the video was all these old kind of propaganda films. And so one was a duck and cover. I just remember people on the street, if there's a nuclear attack, it was like duck and roll into the curb if you're on a street, as if being next to the curb would spare you from a nuclear attack. Oh, my God. Yeah. But that's interesting because those old propaganda uh, videos were the reality of the day. And that's what this uh, book is talking about is what the propaganda is and how it manipulates us and how it creates our reality. And then we get to that, what was in um, the matrix? What was that guy's name who said it's the red pill or the, what was it? Blue pill, red, blue. Oh yeah. Um, Is it Nero or something like that? Neo Trinity and uh, yeah. No, what's his name? Yeah. Morpheus, thank you. Yeah. And and so would you take the pill to, to give you what reality really is? And as we sit here speaking to each other on this podcast, what is reality for us? Is there another layer to it that we don't know? There's a whole uh, subculture that's dedicated. I, I think it's a... I want to say it's a right-wing thing, although I'm not certain about that, where there's like people being red-pilled is the idea. I think there's a whole, maybe a subreddit, oh. uh, this idea, and some YouTube videos where um, it, it, it's all about how, you know, it's a bit conspiratorial, where 
people don't really know what's going on. And so they, they turn this into a verb of being red pilled, right? From the matrix to, 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 to open their eyes. And it actually relates to the idea of Plato's cave, which comes up is referenced here in the Plato's Republic is one of the, one of the many illusions referenced in the idea that we're all, you know, looking at our shadows and don't really know what's outside of the cave. And that's the idea you're talking about here. Exactly. Yeah. Only in a much nicer way. So what kind of cave are we in? I, I, just to echo back to the idea of war, that there is this, we're, maybe that relate, that there's a thread here. It's about what are the things that Bradbury was, was quite prescient about. And, and one of those is the idea of a society that is at war, but doesn't feel any of the effects is numb to the effects of being at war. And it's quite extreme here. But I, just to make that note, those of us, as I guess as Americans, that we've been at war since 9-11. And, that mm-hmm. even, and we can make an argument that there's been other, I guess maybe, maybe not at war outright all the time, but certainly with a, a military, the idea of the military expansion throughout the world. Presence, yeah. Yes, yeah, something going on there, and then, and then since nine eleven, now nineteen, are we near the twenty? Is the twentieth anniversary this this fall, right? That will have been at war and in several wars for twenty years. So you're, you're saying we're numb. It continues to go on, and people continue to go off and 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 die. Of course, people are dying in those other countries, but they continue to go off and die. And maybe and then mo- many of them don't die; they just come back. But we're so capable of, of saving people that they come by and they come back riddled with PTSD and missing limbs and there are so many ways to save people and they're just shells of themselves in so many ways. But that's always going on. And that's the idea here with Bradbury. And he, he talks about that in such an extreme way with the with Mildred and the other Y in that scene. Yeah, where he, he exposes his book. Like with Mrs. Phelps and her children and Mrs. And they've, they've lost like husbands, right? Plural. Yeah. Um, they're just kind of, they're just replaceable. Every, everything seems to be replaceable. And he reads them poetry. Hmm. Yeah, Bradbury was a huge fan of poetry. I think I read that he always read, read a lot of poetry to help with his writing. Yeah, I saw that too. And then I recognized one of the poets as, as one that I had read a long time ago. And that was fun following that thread back. Yeah. I, yeah. So have we, have we talked about censorship enough? Well, I think we have to come back to that. That's a big conversation. Yeah, I meant to should spend a little more time looking into this poem. But I guess that's really the moment. The name of this poem, I'm... I'm uh, Oh, Dover Beach. Dover Beach was the name of the poem. Ah, love, let us be true to one another. For the world which seems to lie before us like a land of dreams, so various, so beautiful, so new, hath really neither joy, nor love, nor light, nor certitude, nor peace, nor help for pain. And we are here as on a darkly plain, swept with confused alarms of struggle and flight, where ignorant armies clash by night. 
that was the title of the original script, right? Where ignorant armies clash by the original, sorry, original script, the original book, he were, the short story he was writing. Oh, I. Game. Yeah. Yeah. Was where ignorant armies clash by night. And he, in the end, he felt like it was too, Bradbury felt like it was too, uh, a little too pedantic or he was pontificating too much and he didn't have enough of the the joy that comes through a story. And that was part of what prompted him to rework it. But that was the title. And actually, I'd forgotten that was in the poem because <laughs> I was reading the 20th, sorry, 60th anniversary edition and it had all that additional material in the back. And it mentioned this the title of the original, which was Where Ignorant Armies Clash by Night. And I forgot it was from this poem. Hmm. And now you've rediscovered it. Yeah, Ignorant Armies Clashing by Night. Maybe in my mind it was about, and I could be guilty of this too, of just ignorant people clashing 24 hours a day through Twitter barbs and memes and all these little videos and, and GIFs that are exchanged. And and for what? Bradbury's prediction comes through one of Captain Beatty's uh, rants when he says that after that step of the headline reading with no article to support it comes just headlines and then just words and then maybe just images. And the right. people don't notice I yeah, thought that was pretty spooky. Absolutely. This had me thinking about, I actually started a rereading of it last night, uh, which is, I don't know if you've ever read Amusing Ourselves to Death. Definitely worth a revisit, Amusing Ourselves to Death, which is, um, space and out on the author. Yeah, Amusing Ourselves to Death by uh, Neil Postman. And he's writing about, and it has echoes of Marshall McLuhan's The Medium is the Message. Yeah. I've right? read, yeah, I've read that. Yeah. yeah. And the idea that these, depending on the type of medium that we're using, changes the way that we think. It's absolutely, I think Bradbury's writing here predates both of their, those publications. I think McLuhan... Definitely Postman were later. Here's a, one of the quotes I, I really like from it is the, there's a couple of, there's a couple of lines where he's got speed up the film. This is also from a Beatty speech. The first one. So this is when Montag is feigning sickness just after uh -huh. the woman has committed suicide through self-immolation and, and yeah. Beatty arrives at their house, Mont, uh, Guy and Mildred Montag's home. And yeah, maybe I can just humor me to read a bit of this. I, I just love, I, I absolutely love the exchanges with Beatty. I think he's one of the, just a, a brilliant villain. And the best villains are always those that have a charisma. Uh, there's a likability or a charm to them. I mean, this is the, the, yeah. the, the devil, right? As a character, right? The, the devil would be good looking and charming and he's he's devilish right what's his job yeah so yeah when did it all start you ask this job of ours how did it come about life say it really got started around about a thing called the civil war and, and i think there's all these different these terms that we hear now that 
that make us think, uh, are we also in a bit of a, certainly a cultural civil war these days in, in the U.S.? Even though our book, our rule book claims it was founded earlier, the fact is we didn't get along well until photography came into its own. Then motion pictures in the early 20th century, radio, television, things began to have mass. So this is this, this whole mass media. And because they had mass, they became simpler. And I can't help what I'm listening. I mean, this is so, man, if Bradbury had been alive during this time of meme culture, there's always been memes to some, but especially today, I just can't, this just it screams. And that's well, what I'm, I'm using. Dangerous, racist yeah. Once books appealed to a few people here, there, everywhere, they could afford to be different. The world was roomy, but then the world got full of eyes and elbows and mouths, double, triple, quadruple populations and radios, magazines, books leveled down to a sort of pace pudding norm. Yeah, I think I picture a 19th century man with his horse's dog, cart, slow motion. Then in the 20th century, speed up your camera, books cut shorter, condensations, digest, tabloids. Everything boils down to the gag, the snap ending. Classics cut to 15-minute radio shows, then cut again to fill a two-minute book column, winding up at last a 10- or 12-line dictionary resume. I exaggerate, of course. The dictionaries were for reference, but many were those whose sole knowledge of Hamlet you know the title, certainly, Montag. It's probably only a faint rumor of a title to you, Mrs. Montag, whose sole knowledge, as I say, of Hamlet was a one-page digest in a book that claimed, now at last you can read all the classics, keep up with your neighbors, do you see? Of Out of the nursery, into college, and back to the nursery, there is your intellectual pattern for the past five centuries or so. Just a bit more here. Speed up the film, Montag. I love these terms here. Montag, quick, click, pick. I mean, P-I-C, pick. How does he write that in this time period? Click, pick, look, I, now, flick. Do you hear flicker, right? Flick, mm -hmm. here, there, swift pace, up, down, in, out, why, how, who, what, where, a, bang, smack, wallop, bing, I always wonder if Bing is from this, Microsoft Bing, Digest. Anyway, it goes on and on. Because I've got this written down too. Politics, one column, two sentences, headline, time, wasting, thought. And I thought that that, if they got there, that's the way to war. Because if you don't have to think about it and I want to create a war, then why can't I do that? I I only say that because I think... Those things are happening these days. Yeah, I've been guilty of sending uh, an article having only read the headline, right, or the first couple of sentences. Oh, and I sent it off, and who knows what the rest of it is. There's definitely research to support how, I, I think, I don't know the percentage, but it's a lot of people who are doing that. I've done that before, but I've tried to stop myself from doing that. But yeah, we all have, and that's a problem. Yeah, I've been trying to battle against. Uh, well, now I'm conscious of my the the, the war uh, metaphorical language of war that I'm using when I say battle. But I've been trying to to fight, to battle, to resist using something like Feedly, right? I think we we used to 
talk about Google Reader way back in the day, and, and I, I, I still use Feedly. And I've been trying to, I actually started rereading, was it Cal Newport's Digital Minimalism? Oh, okay. And, and trying to, yeah, trying not to, or trying to limit the amount of, because that's really what we're getting at here with so much, is there's so much information. There's all these little, these seemingly, these really meaningless facts that make you feel like, this is what he's getting at, a little bit later in that same scene, he says, give people contests they win by remembering the words to more popular songs or the names of state capitals or how much corn Iowa grew last year. Cram them full of non-combustible data. Chalk them so damned full of facts they feel stuck, but absolutely brilliant with information. Then they'll feel their thinking. They'll get a sense of motion without moving. And they'll be happy because facts of that sort don't change. Give them, don't give them any slippery stuff like philosophy or sociology to tie things up with. That way lies melancholy. Any man who can take a TV wall apart and put it back together again, and most men can nowadays, is happier than any man who tries to slide, rule, measure, and equate the universe, which just won't be measured or equated without making man feel bestial and lonely. And and I know I've tried it. The hell with it. So bring on your clubs and parties, your acrobats and magicians, your daredevils, jet cars, motorcycle helicopters, your sex and heroin, more of everything to do with automatic reflex. If the drama is bad, if the film says nothing, if the play is hollow, sting me with the theremin loudly. I'll think I'm responding to the play when it's only a tactile reaction to vibration. But I don't care. I just like solid entertainment. And that's it. That's it. We just I feel like I do I cram myself full of information and I feel good about it because I'm reading this headline or parts of this Atlantic article or the New York Times or whatever. And I feel like I'm in the I know something, but I don't really know any of that deeply. I thought that in that same rant, when he said loneliness, that mm-hmm. knowledge or too much knowledge creates loneliness is, is true. But then on the other hand, Mildred has her own loneliness and takes too many sleeping pills so that it has to be sucked out by the, the snake. That, oh, that wonderful description about taking the contents of her stomach and sucking it out and then putting in new blood and the guy smoking cigarettes over this these this pumping machine. Thought it was, was wonderful. Amazing scene. Yeah, the eye that sees but doesn't see. Yeah. And loneliness. So we're humans, we can't get away from loneliness. We can tell you you had this machine. You had two machines really. One of them slid down into your stomach like a black cobra. Down and echoing, looking for all the old water and the old kind of water. It drank up the green water that flowed to the top in a slow boil. Did it drink of the darkness? Did it suck out all the poisons accumulated within the years? It fed in silence with an occasional sound of an inner suffocation and blind searching. It had an eye. The impersonal operator of the machine could, by wearing a special optical helmet, gaze into the soul of the person whom he was pumping out. What did the eye see? 
he did not say. He saw, but did not see what the eye saw. The entire operation was not unlike the digging of a trench in one's yard. The woman on the bed was no more than a hard stratum of marble they had reached. Go on, anyway, shove the bore down, slush up the emptiness. If such a thing could be brought out into the throb of the suction snake, the operator stood smoking a cigarette. The other machine was working too. Yeah, nice. Oh man, I thought I'd just read that while you were there. Taking care of that. I, yeah, I, perfect. Beautiful passage. Such a good writer. Really. I found myself introduced to that right away through Clarissa. How Clarissa glided in and out and the the yard. I could see this expansive yard, trees, green grass, the smells that that were there. I really enjoy his uh, description such a stark such a stark contrast she's he's playing with we've talked about this before the you know his light and dark imagery and and she's described as milky white and angelic and light and airy and like you said so so many, all so of that like, yeah yeah and then we transition to this kind of dark cold mausoleum like room with his wife thank you for reminding me of that because when i i read that i read it at least twice have you ever been to the ming tombs yeah yeah there's yeah. one tomb in there i can't remember ching shi ching shi something and we went down into her tomb and it was like mildred's room that's how I thought of it. So it was a great connection for me. Hmm. Yeah, description's amazing. I guess there's one hint that Clarice makes it out because as he, in the end, spoiler alert, when he makes it, finally emerges from the river, he knows that, Mil yeah, that I say Mildred, that Clarice has been there before, that Clarice escapes. And he realized so he was just feeling that, yeah, yeah. He doesn't know how he knew, but he knew that Clarice had been there at some point, and that's further supported by his own death and rebirth. So, if he did it, why couldn't she, right? Yeah, I thought about I was, I meant to spend a little time thinking about this, but I don't know if you've if you thought about the hero's journey at all in regard to this text. And for some reason, I never really thought of it before until this reading, even though I've read this <laughs> probably, I don't, I don't know how many times I've read it, but yeah, it's, it's such a clear example, I think of the, of the hero's journey, right? But, <laughs> and, and Clarice with the hero's journey, I was thinking maybe that the Clarice represents sort of a, a herald figure that she, she motivates the, the hero uh, and challenges him and help. And obviously, the meeting of her is the inciting incident as well. But is she the herald figure that that announces the the the, the change that's to come? That she becomes his sort of inner voice. Of course, we we have to believe that, even if he's hallucinating the whole thing. I really enjoyed the character of Clarice. Hmm. I hope we all have a Clarice hidden away deep inside, or maybe not deep inside, and maybe not so hidden either. Yeah, or maybe some Clarice's in our lives, right? 
So honestly, I think Monte, Clarice, Faber, I don't know about Mildred, are all the same character, they seem to me. Just different just different conversations leading uh, Guy Montag along the way. Yeah, Faber plays a mentor-like figure. Is he the, the Obi-Wan Kenobi of this of this story? The book of knowledge, the yes, I need to know more moments. Yeah, he, yes, he. What did you think of his three things? Faber mentions number one, quality. Number two, leisure time to think. And then number three, the right to carry out action based on number one and number two. And that was in reference to his three things in order to do what? I can't remember what that is. What started that? Yeah, I think it was to live a meaningful existence. Why am I here kind of thing? Why am I doing this? What is it? I threw away my whole life, Guy Montag's saying, and why did I do that? And Faber's trying to say those three things. They make sense to me. Seem common, like common sense. Did I miss something? No, it makes sense. Yeah, to me, it reminded me of, um, I'm trying to find the pages for that. It reminded me of the Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. <gasps> You've read that book? Yeah, yeah. It's been a while, but I, I, yeah, I read that years ago. And it was, I just remember it being about the quality. It was so much of it was about the, the importance of, of the quality of things, right? Quality of... Oh, yeah. I haven't ever finished that, but I got about halfway through. I, I love the descriptions of what it was to ride the motorcycle in early mornings, the breeze in his face, fixing the spark plugs or oil or whatever it needed to have happen. And at an early age, yes, I read that in an early age too. That influenced how I looked at those kinds of mechanical things that they have a way of working. Love that book. Why are we talking about Zen and well, the other yeah, motorcycle? It's just about the, I think Zen's a, kind of a key word, right, too. And Bradbury doesn't mention it here, but his later book about writing, I think, isn't it called The Zen and the Art of Writing or... Isn't that Bradbury's book on writing? I don't know. I don't know. But I think the idea of, of things, of, of each thing having quality and, and being able to recognize, enjoy the moment and yeah, Zen in the Art of Writing by Ray Bradbury. Wow. When we're, you know, in these moments of trying to, how do you make meaning? And part of that meaning comes from being in the moment and part of that meaning comes from appreciating things with some quality, some history, some blemishes, things that are above the earth, right? Like at some point, Brad, I think Faber talks about how, oh, it's a beautiful quote too. This is in that same section where uh, Faber says, the comfortable people want only wax moon faces, poreless, hairless, expressionless. We are living in a time, I just love this quote, love it, love it, love it. We are living in a time when flowers are trying to live on flowers instead of growing on good rain and black loam. Yeah. Like flowers yeah. living on flowers and you can't, you need, you need something kind of, ugly is not the right word, but you need the dirt. You need something that, that is not so bright and colorful, but and yet beautiful in its own way. You need that kind of, that earthy kind of, kind of mucky soil to make things, to make something beautiful. Like you can't have the beautiful thing without the, 
the ugly thing. How do you get to the place where we are even, or maybe where Mildred is in the book? Let's stick with Mildred. How do you get to that flower upon flower uh, place? Because they did. What happens? Is it information? Right. This is the segue back to censorship, right? Ah. I think because he's in, and this was, I think the passage that I thought was most, I don't know if controversial is the right word, but, but maybe the most precarious, fascinating part in the story. So when, again, when Beatty is visiting their home, when Montag is feeling overwhelmed and Beatty has this long passage where he explains how this, this came about and it's not through authoritarian rule. It's like 1984 is like that. And uh, and this is more, and we talked about maybe doing a rereading of uh, Brave, Brave New World. World. Okay. And so what, how do you end up with a Brave New World is where everything becomes about things that make you feel happy. And it's about mindless pleasure seeking. And Beatty here said that became a reality because we... Uh, we're afraid of dealing with things that made us uncomfortable. So in the passage, he says, right, now let's take up the minorities in our civilization. Now, for us, we hear the word minority and we think of it, it makes us think of certain things. But the, now let's take up the minorities in our civilization, shall we? Bigger the population, the more minorities. Don't step on the toes of the dog lovers, the cat lovers, doctors, lawyers, merchants, chiefs, Mormons, Baptists, Unitarians second-generation Chinese, Swedes, Italians, Germans, Texans, Brooklynites, Irishmen, people from Oregon or Mexico. People in this book, this play, this TV serial are not meant to represent any actual painters, cartographers, mechanics anywhere. The bigger your market, Montag, the less you handle controversy. Remember that. All the minor minorities with their navels to be kept clean Authors full of evil thoughts lock up your typewriters. They did. And then he kind of goes on to about these, the, the word intellectual kind of became as it deserved to be. Yeah. So the idea being that what, that, that if anybody is offended, we need to stop the publication or the writing or the expression of this thing that might offend other people. Mm. And I, this reminded me of the, the idea of cancel culture today. All right, explain cancel culture. I looked it up the other day. I found it in something I was reading, but I didn't really get it. So so cancel culture is being pushed by, I guess, the right in the U.S. as something that left the left wing is doing that, let's say... They were like, and I remember being struck by this because there was a rumor that Paw Patrol... Have you seen that cartoon with all those cartoon dogs? Paw Patrol yeah. was going to be uh, banned because it portrayed like policemen in, in a positive light. And so, and so another, maybe that's not, it's, it would be canceled because it wasn't a realistic kind of portrayal of, say, the police or that, that show, oh, like, right. Bad Boys, yes. Bad Boys, what you can do. That was finally canceled after 30 years because of its portrayal. Or that there were certain other cop shows that were being canceled because of their portrayal. And because that, that kind of offended certain groups of people. Or that... And, uh, and so then they called it, uh, you're canceling my culture or something? Is that, is that where right. we're going? 
Got it then. Well, yeah. Yeah. And so I think to me, the question is, how do you find a balance of, of maybe canceling some things that are maybe offensive and yet still it's still allowing enough things that are offensive so that we don't, you know, create a world in which people are afraid to take a risk or put something creative out there. Like a lot of comedians do that when they're a bit edgy, but where's the, where do you cross the line, right? Where have you gone too far from edgy to something that's so offensive that then nobody, you're not allowed to perform or nobody can buy your work. So who gets to decide that, which person or uh, committee or whatever? He talked about the tyranny of the majority. So if you have a majority of people who don't like something, then they may censor that, right? If, it, if, it's, if, it's, if it's offensive to the majority, then maybe we can't have that is, is the fear. Yeah. When you read that section with Beatty, is that your interpretation? Yeah, it's all through the book. And the, the thing is, when I think of censorship, I would think of it bef before I went to China, I would think of it in terms of a book like uh, Fahrenheit 451. Since living in China, when I see the word censorship, I, I think of China and what, and what happened to me. But in this case of this book, if you think of the the peasants out in the country and what they get to watch on TV is very different and more in line of Fahrenheit 451, I think. Well, what do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of the people there, not just there, everywhere, they just don't care because what they care about is access to TikTok or Netflix or endless YouTube videos where they there's so much mindless entertainment out there that that makes people feel good and if they can just feel good for as much time as possible then people don't have to deal with the ideas and questions that make them uncomfortable and so in the end people don't want they don't want to deal with the things that are controversial and that make you uncomfortable that may be threatening and so we like just censoring ourselves like a, a pandemic and how people could be seeking what you just expressed, the good feelings and happiness while, while they can, uh, and ignoring the rest. And then that is when the powerful, manipulating, dark, the dark side can take over. And that's in this book, that's how I think the war happened. And could it happen? here in a, in a situation that we have i think there are the powers that be are shifting and and changing during this pandemic i see it in the news but i can't see the whole story what do you think is shifting in terms of the you mean that there's, mm. there's more and more consolidation yeah. of wealth with the top one percent uh, yeah oh yeah the even the weakest examples are the millions of dollars that were given through that, that last incentive to congressmen and congressmen's wives and companies that they know and lobbyists and all of that stuff. Yeah, that's there. Yeah. Well, I think that's something that maybe relates to the overload that we feel. You would think that with all the negative, there's been so many negative things from Trump that you would think it's the very thing we think would destroy him 
or, and, or, or causing his removal is the very thing that probably keeps him there. When, when every day has a new controversy or a new a something negative that happens, it's, you're so overwhelmed with each little negative thing that it's hard to, it's hard to focus on any one thing in particular. That's why the newscasters keep saying, this is not normal. This is not the new normal. And they're not talking about the pandemic. They're talking about the president's behavior. And then we get immune to it and it's okay until we go to the next crisis. Yes, every Friday night has some kind of crisis. Oh, and on my notes, I have in the story, Fahrenheit 451, bullies. And I think uh, Cap- Captain Beatty was the, the, the face of the uh, bully of the government and that he was the Kellyanne of, of that time period. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, somebody who can manipulate words and argue different sides and in the end, none of it really makes sense. Holy smokes. I think you described these those two characters perfectly. Yeah, that's a scary thought. And I think, you know, and part of that is when you're saying it's like the government, I don't even know if Beatty is like a real, you don't even get the sense he really necessarily cares about any of that. He doesn't, even the argument he's making about it being a good thing, right? That we're keeping people happy. He doesn't care about that. He's just, it's almost a, a game. Part of this, and I wasn't sure how to phrase the question, but I, I, Bradbury has a has quite a few throughout his work his body of work. There's a lot of references to um, carnivals, and I was starting to think about that a bit more. But I thought the the idea of the carnival, the white clown, the the entertainment, and it's uh, the Beatty character or a Kellyanne Conway are almost like they're just characters in a carnival that they're not yeah. even. It's just a show. There's nothing. It's, it's uh, but but if you can look behind the curtains of the show, maybe then you get the true reality. But behind the curtains, aren't they all just like smoking and laughing and having drinks with each other? You know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean Kelly and Conway. Nobody's goes, nobody's shown me behind the curtain before. <laughs> I won't right, see. Right. Yeah, we're we're not in the room where it happened. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right, we have not discussed this character, which is also a device, which we talk about in science fiction. And this was one of the main devices in the story. And it was hideous. As all those features of a very vicious dog, big, vicious dog, that strikes fear into everybody's heart. But then it's mechanical and it senses, its senses are, you know, heightened to extreme. And it has a lethal bite so like a snake yeah full of venom yeah which built tension in this story the whole way through yeah harold bloom he said that was one of his plot coups that this this was he didn't he loved the ideas of it he was a fan of the novel but he I think I, I think I may have sent that to you, but he didn't. He you know didn't praise the writing maybe that much, but really loved this particular plot device. Thought that was such a great great moment. You know the great inclusion of the hound. Yeah, I, lo- I love the idea of the hound. It's like that. Uh, I meant to look that up. That that Black Mirror episode. Did you, did you see that one where they have the 
those those hounds? No, I don't. Oh, I must have. I, I think uh, season, uh, season five. Oh, well, but the movies are full of these kind of references to lethal mechanical animals. Yeah, season four, episode five, Metal Head, the Black Mirror. Oh, you got to go watch. Yeah, if you if you happen to have missed that one, okay, it's not one of the most highly rated ones, but I really enjoyed it just because of it made me think of this novel. And there's this season four, episode five. Yeah, metal. Okay, head. got it. Yeah, when you were talking about it before, it made me think of I never really thought of the hound metaphorically or I guess symbolically in the sense that now for some reason I'm thinking of Animal Farm or the idea of what are the dogs or the hounds, the enforcers, right? For these kind of fascist figures. Perfect segue into how police forces can be funded and allowed to go to extremes, especially with certain groups of people. And it fits perfectly into what's happening today with everything and Black Lives Matter. Yeah, the militarization of the police. Absolutely. Just the persecution of the other. This is a novel full of, it doesn't really specify race, I think, other than Clarice. She's described as white. No one else, there's no explicit, I think, that I remember any description of, say, race. But certainly, you know, it deals with the idea of the other and the persecution of the other. And that if you're just strange, right, if you're just a pedestrian walking down the road, if you're just yeah. unusual in some way that, that people are and maybe should be, that's not Bradbury's argument, obviously, but that from Beatty, from that Mildred and Beatty and that group's perspective, that if you're different, then you're something to be suspicious of. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And people are threatened by what they don't, what's different and what they don't understand. I have another quote from page 73. I think this is Faber. I think, yeah, you just read from part of this. We must all be alike, not everyone born free and equal, as the Constitution says, but everyone made equal. So how do you make people equal? Yeah, that's the struggle I think we're in right now and that we can't, we're not able to really explore in a way that's that's has a long-term solution. I don't think we're really addressing systematic issues. But the kind of general argument is on the left, people would say there should be more minorities represented in in say film or in cultural works and the right would say or let's say represented in some business so that if you have somebody has a podcast it shouldn't just be uh, necessarily a couple of white guys so there should be a woman or there should be person of color represented and the right would say no it, it, you shouldn't force that in there it should be it should be the person with say the best qualifications or just should you shouldn't force you know, what's the compromise there, right? How do you give more opportunity for people of different groups without just saying we're going to have 50% on some board for some uh, company that you would have 50% women or 50% men? That's a, 
I think that's a problematic approach to just say it's going to be 50%. But at the same time, there's a problem with not, with when you have obviously so many or so few, let's say women or people of color represented. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. It's more of a systematic issue, right? You you couldn't just say tomorrow we're going to change all that by making it so that you have to have, say, 50%. Uh, See, I, I, I agree with that. My idea is to go even one step beyond that and be a, a group, a government, a corporation so powerful that they can shift the focus of the nation or world to make more people equal. And one way that, that you could do that is to change the focus of education. And then you could do that to the economy if you were powerful enough. The 1% isn't going to be affected anyway. They'll go on forever. The 1% will go on forever without really noticing that there are shifts in the other classes and equalizing or not equalizing. They would notice if there was chaos in it, then that chaos affected them. So they don't want that. Yeah, I don't think I have the solution. I think generally the solution in my mind, tends to come back to education. And that's a whole can of worms in itself with, yeah, who gets opportunities, who so yeah. much, yeah, is about so many challenges. And Beatty references this too, of getting, why did they try to get children early and earlier Almost to indoctrinate them from an earlier age. Because this has to go on for generations. And then it finally gets to a point where that kind of manipulation, that kind of structure doesn't hold up anymore. And then uh, the chaos meets the the 1%. And that could create a war, that could create a famine, that could, you know, that kind of stuff. It's happened before. At some point, at what point, when do people really start to, when do the masses start to revolt? I mean, what, what would they I have, know. They'd, they'd have yeah, to, when does that happen? Well, they'd have to, they'd have to run out of pharmaceuticals and yes. run out of uh, Wi-Fi. Electricity. Yeah, Wi-Fi. Turn off the Wi-Fi. To, it'd be hard to connect without Wi-Fi. They'd have to run out of um, mindless entertainment, right? Uh, I, our Wi-Fi went out the other day for most of the day. I, I didn't know what to do, so I took a nap. <laughs> so no, rev- no revolution, yeah. <laughs> if we're run out of stuff, I have one thing that I, maybe two things that I have to say. Toward the end of our, our podcast. All right. Yeah, I guess the, is there anything? We had a list of sci-fi elements. You know, we had the, if I miss anything, the air-propelled train. I think there were slide walks, and we talked about this in a different podcast. I looked it up, the, the air, the moving uh, walkways at airports are called inclinators, even though they don't have an incline. Inclinators. Inclinators. Okay. Uh, there's the glove hole seashells. The seashells are ear thimbles, which oh, yeah. are like earbuds, which is so true. There were no earbuds. 
when he wrote this. And it just seems natural. Oh, yeah, earbuds. Hmm. Little clams. And then the police cars that could fly, hover, and then go back to the ground when they were searching for him. With Oh, and then the uh, 100, was it 100 meter billboards? Oh, yeah. 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 I like that. Parlor walls, we talked about those. A little bit. The which ones? The parlor walls, the... Oh, yeah. The wall-sized TV screens. That's family. Soon, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and here's the thought. Now, if I were an artificial intelligence that had become aware, what's that word? The moment of sentience... What better way to control my environment than to manipulate the, the media that goes out to the people? Is it really us that's controlling this? Oh, absolutely. Russian bots that are, that are manipulating which things are retweeted and what gets the most light and stirring up yeah. all kinds of feelings, feeding off of people's emotions, their anger, typically, to manipulate people. Absolutely. The woman knelt among her books, touching the drenched leather and cardboard, reading the gilt titles with her fingers while her eyes accused Montag. You can't ever have my books, she said. Play the man, Master Ripley. And here's a question for you. It's unfair, and I really don't expect an answer. But if you were going to be a book... Which book would you be? Hmm. See, I asked myself the same question and I went, no, I'm not going to be able to answer that. Yeah, it's hard to say just because I feel like there's a lot left to be written. Okay. So you want it qualified. I don't know. Can I be a chapter? (laughs) 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 Um I don't know. I feel like I would have tried to maybe answer that years ago. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, uh, I don't know. I think I'm constantly, frequently. Oh, you mean if you were at a bar trying to impress a girl and she asked you that question, you would answer her? No, I, I probably I don't know. what. Really? I, that doesn't change anything. Yeah. It's been too long. Yeah. I, yeah, I I think that we're, I'm a pretty big believer in the man with a thousand faces, hero's journey idea. So I think we're all living our own version of Sid Harth, although where we are. I I really like that idea of the hero's journey. Yeah. Ooh, Sid Hartha. Somewhere in there, but wouldn't really just be particular to me. Which character would you be? Out of all the characters, which yeah. one would you dress up as to the Halloween party? Well, I, I dressed up as uh, Montag for last Halloween. <laughs> Did <real>. you really? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a picture? That'll go on our blog. After we have a thousand fans, maybe a thousand fans or readers. 
to go back and find it. Yeah, I, I, I definitely feel like Montag kind of stumbling through things. And we're all kind of stumbling through life for the most part, right? Yeah. So Montag had his, in this story, he had his wake-up moment. Clarice helped him with his wake-up moment. But I think it was even before then because he had his eyes on that radiator and it had a book or books in the radiator. And so he'd been collecting books. Like maybe, I don't know if he looked in them, read them, but he had them. So Clarice then took him to the next level and then his awakening began to get that. Yeah, I don't see a full body photo of Beck's bomb, but that was a selfie. Have the hose and everything? No, that would have been, yeah, just a, just a, basically a black suit with a, he was pretty, pretty handmade overall. Awesome. Did paint the hat though. Yeah, such a good, I think for me, the only thing I found, maybe I just don't understand this well enough and, Harold Bloom was arguing for that, that something about the importance of recitation and memorization and as a key part of learning that we, maybe that we're so reliant on devices or superficial facts that we don't really have the deep knowledge memorized that allows us to dig into ideas. I'm saying we. I, I saw that part too. Yeah, that's really important. That's really important. Because we think we know it. Right. Of course, I, I read it. I saw it on, on Fox News. It's got to be true. And I even still feel I don't have the whole truth after I read three or four articles on maybe a recommendation for something I want to buy. I still don't believe I have what the truth is. Maybe closer to it after three or four articles to see what they have to say. But it's... It, it, with that scam about Amazon and buying comments, a positive comments or whatever it is, I believe that's deep. That kind of gets into a territory of uh, you're asking about truth and what is truth and fact versus fiction and how do we know what we know and and do we ever know <laughs> as, as much as we need to yeah. know. I, I, I find that to be a great struggle. I find it really hard to put down, to not overwhelm myself with uh, a constant barrage of, of information to where I used to go on. I used to really like to ride even like a public bus or go for a walk and, in the street in a city without earbuds, just to hear the sounds of the people and the place around me to be in the moment. And I rarely do that now. I've always got earbuds in when I go for a walk. I'm listening to a podcast. And sometimes they're really meaningful. I think a lot of, I try to cull those, curate them in a way that they're mostly pretty meaningful, but not always. And I... Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah, it's just, it's really, it really feels, I think, to me, overwhelming to try to keep up with all the things I'm supposed to keep up with in a meaningful way. I think it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a real, at least for me, I, speaking for myself, a real desire or a, maybe a need to be in a play, to be in a situation that's a little more simple to turn back the the clock in a way and, and, and garden and have time to read and 
buy a tiny house and hit the road. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, just have uh, quiet moments. Yeah, yeah. Here's another quote from page 78. Why waste your uh, final hours racing about your cage, denying you're a squirrel? Mm. That's a dig. Pull the trigger, Montag. Set him on fire. He's mean. Yeah, that was, that's, that's, that's brutal. Maybe the- I found myself when I was reading that section, I found myself saying, okay, pull the trigger. I think the solution there, what, what's the solution that Bradbury offers is to join a, a tribe, right? The solution to, to not want to, his solution to all these problems in a way is to find a tribe, to find people like yourself, find the others like you. And he's really interested in, in discovering what, why it is that he did what he did. He's still not sure. He's got all this guilt. He's done the wrong thing for so many years. And how could he now change? And what is he changing for? All of those feelings. Is that courage? Yeah. I mean, it's, well, that's a good question, right? He's... I think that gets in the question. I think you don't have to, you can be a reluctant hero and still be a hero, or at least in the Greek kind of tragic sense of it. <laughs> you could you be a reluctant hero. Um, I mean, yeah, Luke Skywalker is a reluctant hero, right? Yeah, that's right. I like that reference. Keep yeah. it in the sci fi world. Hmm. Yeah, we sure, we sure read a lot of quite an array at this point. I'm, I'm proud of us. I'm proud of us. It's a good, it's a good list. Yeah, I think so too. Well, speaking of which, should we? Are we going to go with? I don't know. I don't know. I guess any kind of last thoughts there. I feel like I, I, I always feel like there's, you know, more to say or solve. But I, what a great read, Fahrenheit. Yeah. It it really is. It uh, hit all of the buttons for me. Yeah, I, I, I really I enjoyed it. Flew through that. I, I, I really, yeah. I think that's one of the yes. things I appreciate is his. I think he writes with a lot of joy. You can feel that there's a youthful quality to the writing and a joy and a rhythm that. I find very nostalgic or brings me back to a time of my own youth. There's a, yeah, there's just always, yeah, something like this, I don't know, childlike, I describe it. You know, I feel like it's, you, you know, it, it reads like a child, I don't know, running through the hallway or something. <laughs> oh, I, I totally agree. And, and for me, I think it took me to a, a higher level of understanding the way things work or getting to that reality that you know, Bradbury maybe can see or sees better than me. So I always enjoy that. Interesting guy, Bradbury. Life, death, sci-fi. Awesome. All right, man. Hey, glad to hear your voice. Yep. Cool. Okay. Right. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.